listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. So we're going to be reading out of Psalm 139. And if I start crying while I'm reading this, you can also cry too. So Psalm 139, uh, we're reading through verse 16. So if you can read with me. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, good morning. Good morning. It's good to, to gather with you this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And man, it's good just to be with you this Sunday morning. Mason students that are back, welcome. We're excited you guys are back. Those that are already here, I know some of you are probably still in transition. I know classes start up this week. And man, I just want to let you know a little uh, preview. We're going to announce more of this next week and kind of spread the word. We've got several events planned for you guys this semester uh, just to spend time with you and hang out and continue to build relationships with you as you get uh, plugged into the life of our church. But I am grateful that you're here this morning along with anyone else that's here uh, that's been here for the last seven years or maybe it's your first Sunday here uh, in God's providence. We are here today to open up God's word and continue to worship him together. So before we do that, would you just pray with me as we dive into God's word? Father, we come before you this morning and, and we just want to praise you and God, I want to say that in, in an act of faith that we want to praise you because I, my guess is, is that some of us don't want to do that this morning. There are things going on in our heads and our hearts right now that are, that are pulling our attention away from you, that are legitimately discouraging or sad. God, there are other things in our life right now that are exciting, that are also pulling our attention away from you, but God, we want to praise you. And as we open up your word this morning, I pray that you would just help us to do that. That we would see who you are through your word today. And that as we do that, that we would respond in worship, not just with our lips, not just with our words, God, but with our lives. That we would walk in obedience 
for the praise of your name, and because we know and we believe that it's good for us. And God, as we open up your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would allow it to sink deeply into our hearts, that it would take deep root in our hearts, that we would recognize that because of who you are, because we can have a relationship with you through Christ, God, that you are changing our lives, want to change our lives for our good and for your glory. So God, I pray that you'd help us in this moment to lay aside distractions, lay aside preconceived notions about what we think your word is saying. But God, I pray that you'd help us just to listen this morning. Help us to be attentive to your spirit today, that we would hear the voice of God speaking to us, that it would be one of those moments for some of us this morning where it seems like no one else is around us, that you're speaking directly to our hearts and minds. And God, I pray that you'd also help us to remember that we're not just here by ourselves, but we're surrounded by brothers and sisters who are seeking to faithfully follow you and we need each other. So God, help us to listen together today. And as we respond to your word and worship through song later, God, I pray that we lift our voices loudly to the praise of your name. God, we praise you today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, 2020 is well on its way. I was talking to, to somebody this morning, and we were talking about what we did over Christmas and New Year's, and that seems like a really long time ago. It hasn't even been a month. But man, the year is off to a start, and a lot of us are running fast into the start of this year. There's a, a lot going on, and for a lot of us, there's a lot of things that are coming down the road for us. This year is going to be a year that's going to bring about new things in our lives. Some of you are going to graduate high school or college. Some of you are going to change jobs this year. Some of you will maybe stop working, stepping back from vocational, normal kind of marketplace work to be at home in a different season of life. Some of you will begin new relationships, meet new people, have new friends. Some of you will move to a new place. Some of you will meet new people. I hope for all of us that we'll grow spiritually this year. And for those of us that don't yet know Christ, I hope this year will be a year where you actually come to know and follow Jesus my family has some changes coming as well. If you know my wife Amy or saw her, she was singing up here this morning. We are expecting our fourth baby this year. Yeah, it's exciting. We are looking forward to it. It's a little bit of a crazy thing for our family as we're uh, introducing a fourth kid. We already have our three, so adding one more. I mean, what's that, right? It's going to be a little bit more craziness. And it is a boy, so we will have three boys and a little girl. Uh, and so you can pray for us uh, in the midst of that. But we, we're excited. We love our kiddos, and they're excited as well. My daughter Emery has been carrying around a onesie that my wife bought that, of course, has baseball stuff on it. And she's been carrying around acting like it's her baby that she's carrying around. There's nothing in it, just the, just the onesie. So she's probably the most excited out of everybody. But man, it still amazes me uh, to see this little person on a sonogram. Um, I've gone in a couple of times with Amy to see these sonograms, and this last one that I got to go to is her 20-week appointment, and they do lots of different things. They're measuring all kinds of stuff in there, and it still amazes me. Like, I'm looking at this big screen, probably about that big, and there's a person on it, and I see the person moving around, and I'm looking over, and it's like, well, that's my wife, and there's a little thing on her stomach that's showing me this person. It's just mind-blowing that that's going on, that there's this human being that is a part of my family that already has had a significant impact on our lives and we haven't even met him yet. And that's true for all of us. 
Our lives from beginning to end impact other people's lives. That's the nature of being a human being, that we don't exist in this world by ourselves. That from the moment that your mom found out that she was pregnant with you to relationships you have right now, your life impacts those around you. Your life has significance. Now, when I say significance, a lot of times we can think significance is like, I'm a big deal. Like, I'm significant. You need to pay attention to me. But when I mean your life is significant, I'm not talking about being a big deal. That think people think that you're, that you're super important and that you should be praised and honored in that way. What I mean by significance is that your life matters. That it has importance because you're a human being, because God created you in that way. Well, today we're continuing our sermon series called Life Along the Way. And in this series, we're going to take time at various points throughout this year and the years ahead just to to talk about topics or issues that we encounter as followers of Jesus. That as you and I are seeking to be disciples, followers of Jesus, that we're going to encounter and come across different things that are going to be difficult Because life in this world is difficult at times. And Jesus has called us to be in this world, but not of this world, seeking to follow him as king and and honor him as king in the midst of a kingdom that is upside down from the way this world would call us to live. That Jesus' inverted kingdom and the ethic that comes along with that is different than this present age. Today also is Sanctity of Life Sunday. The time that has been set aside as God's people gather together to celebrate life, to talk about the fact that God has made life and that is a glorious thing, an amazing reality, and at the same time to mourn, mourn that our culture oftentimes does not value life. And we see that through various things, even the Holocaust that abortion is. See, the issue of life and how we think about it, how we talk about it, how we engage it in our lone lives, both personally and as a culture, is important. And if we look at our world, our world is confused. Our world often speaks out of both sides of, it, of its mouth when it comes to issues of life. That in some senses, we see our world talking about how much we value life, and in other ways, in the same breath, seem to discard it as unimportant, not valued. Our world is confused. Our world speaks out of both sides of its mouth, but God has spoken clearly. God, in his word, has made it very clear to us that life is valuable, and it's valuable from beginning to end. So I want to take time this morning as we think about what does it look like for us to be disciples, living life in the midst of a messy world? How are we, as God's people, supposed to think about life? How do we have the mind of Christ and think biblically from God's word when it comes to thinking about what God thinks when it comes to humanity? Now, I know that everyone in this room has a story. That's one of the things that I, I love just about us being human beings and being in relationship with one another is all of us have stories different things that have taken place in our lives over our history, however long that happens to be. And with that comes a lot of emotions when we talk about the issue of life. But I need you to know from the get-go, the goal of today is not to beat anyone up. The goal of today is not to tear anyone down. This is not a, a political sermon. There's nothing about politics in here at all. My goal for today is for you to have an enlarged view of God. That as we open up God's word, that your view of God would be increased exponentially. Maybe just to be reminded of who God is for you, or maybe for the very first time to actually see him for who he truly is. And I want us to to see that as we have an enlarged view of God, that that's what would actually bring hope to our world. Our world that's in need of redemption. 
that we would be a kingdom people who care about what our king cares about. And so as I pray, let me make this request to you. I just want to encourage you to listen this morning, to set aside any preconceived notions or beliefs that you might hold on to or think you already have that are deeply rooted in your life and that you would listen, that you'd be attentive to the Spirit and say, God, what do you want to speak to me today through your word? And that by that, that he'd be honored, by that he'd be glorified and our lives would be impacted because of that. So with that, let's dive into Psalm 139 this morning and may God help us to faithfully, faithfully live life along the way. Man, I love this psalm. Some, some brothers and I got together earlier this week uh, on Wednesday morning. There's a group of us that get together on Wednesdays just to read scripture together and pray. That's open to anyone. You can come out, gathering ground, 7 o'clock, Wednesday mornings. And we read Psalm 139 this week, and we're just thinking, man, there's so much richness in this text, so many things that we learn about God in this text. And it's a, it's a psalm that David writes, but really it's a, it's a prayer of praise to God. David's writing in a very personal way, reflecting on who God is in the midst of his own life. And David's giving praise to God with this kind of understanding that God is in control of all things in David's life. I mean, look at these first 10 verses here. There's so much richness in this, and we don't even have time to to mine all that's in this because I want to focus in on verses 13 through 16. But just look at what David says here. He says, God, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Like God knows everything about what's going on in your life right now. It says he knows, you know the words, God, on my tongue before I've even spoken them. There's an intimacy about God and his knowledge of your life. That he knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're going through at any given moment in time in your life. He says such knowledge is too wonderful for him. David doesn't even quite get it. It's kind of one of those mind-blowing things. Like if he really starts to wrap his mind around the fact that God knows everything about him and everything that's going on in his life, it's just a wonderful thought for him, an overwhelming thought for him. Verses 7 through 9, he says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? David's saying, like, I can't even go anywhere. I can't run away from you, God. There's nowhere I can hide. There's nowhere I can put myself that you aren't there. And that's both a comforting thing and a terrifying thing. It's comforting because our God is full of loving kindness and grace and mercy. And it's a terrifying thing because God is holy and just and perfect. There's nothing we can hide from him. Nowhere we can go to the highest place or the lowest place in all of creation. God is ever-present in our lives. God has all knowledge. He has all control. He is the sustainer of all things. And so David is praying this to God. He's giving praise to God out of this. And he's reflecting on God's care for his own life. He's saying, God, this is about me. This is what you're doing in my own life. But here's the deal. Because this is rooted in who God is, Because this is rooted in God's character and God's nature. See, David's not so focused on his own individual detail of his life. He's focused on God. And because this is true of God, because it's true of his character and true of his nature, it means it's true for you too. That everything that David says that God is to him is true for you also. God is ever-present in your life. God is in control of everything going on in your life. He knows everything that's happening. He has all power and all knowledge. So when we come to verses 13 through 16, we see David focus in on a particular part of God's sovereign rule and care for humanity. What David does in these few verses, this kind of pinnacle of this psalm, is he rejoices in the truth that God created life. 
and that God is sovereign over life from beginning to end. He created life and he's sovereign over life from beginning to end. Look at verse 13. David says this, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. This is a profound truth. God is involved in making you down to the depths of who you are. God is involved in making you down to the depths of who you are. He's saying, inside my mother, you made the insides of me. I mean, that's a crazy thing. If you just stop to think about how God created and brings about new life, is that there's a person inside of a person. That's a wild thing to try and wrap your mind around. He says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I mean, this is, this is wonderful imagery that David paints for us. This is not some haphazard putting together of a person. This is a master craftsman, an artist who's painting a picture and creating this person, putting together every part of an individual. And it's through his natural created order and his purposeful involvement, God brings about new life in the womb of a woman. I mean, this is crazy to think about. We're talking about the God of all creation, the God who is high and lifted up, who's all-powerful, who's transcendent. This same God who spoke creation into existence by the word of his mouth is intimately involved in the creation of life on an individual basis. He's intricately involved in the details of our lives, our very coming together into a specific God-ordained person. There is no individual that is the same as another. I don't care if you have a doppelganger or not. Or or even if you're an identical twin, you are a unique individual that God saw fit to create specifically in this time and in this place. Now, you may be thinking, okay, that makes sense. I, I read that. I see that. But, man, I know people, or I have this in my own life, that experience health issues or, or, or other issues as I've seen somebody born into this world with a, uh, a difficulty uh, physically or, or mentally or struggling with just who they are, wrestling with, well, I, I don't always feel like my gender matches up with who I am, and I'm not really sure what to do with that. And, and what do we do with that? Like, did God mess up along the way? And yes, there is brokenness in our world as, as babies are born and as people come into existence and wrestling with all these kinds of things, either physically or mentally or emotionally, and, and I don't always, I, I don't always know, I don't know exactly why all of those things take place in somebody's life, but I know my God, and I know what he says about himself and his word, and I believe it, that our God is, he's good, and he's faithful, and he's sovereign, and he is in control, and he is full of love and full of grace. And I also know that we live in a a broken world, a world that's been shattered by and affected by sin, both physically and spiritually. And there are the effects of sin around us. The disease and difficulty in our life is a result of sin. Now, we have to be careful here because I'm not saying that's because of our own sin that, that something difficult happens in our own life. I think this is where John 9 is helpful for us. Listen to these words that Jesus speaks to us. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3 say this, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him. They're asking the same question. They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, the disciples are thinking, well, there must be, this must be somebody's fault. 
that, that this man is born blind, that he's experiencing physical challenge and difficulty in his life. So whose fault is it? And Jesus is Jesus' response to his disciples, and it's good for us to remember as well. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, what that communicates to me and hopefully communicates to you as we think about difficulty in life and see struggles and people who are differently abled is that God has a purpose and a plan that his works are to be displayed through all of humanity. Even in the midst of the brokenness, God gets glory as he seeks to bring about redemption. And we don't always know what God is up to. We don't have the, the full picture of every aspect of someone's life. We don't know what he's up to in your life as an individual or my life as an individual or any mom or any dad or any child that's to be born. But what we know even in the midst of this is God is involved. And that God is present. And we can rest in that reality of who he is. And so in response to this declaration about God's involvement in the creation of new human life, look at verse 14. He proclaims, I praise you. I praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When he says that I'm fearfully made, what he means is he's reverently created. There's a holiness about the creation of a human life that the angels would stand in awe of. And David's so taken aback to think about the fact that the God of all creation made him, purposed for him to exist, brought him about. David realizes, I, I can't do that on my own. None of us decided to be born. You didn't have a conversation with your parents and say, hey, I'd like to be born in the spring. That seems like a good time of year. Yay! Yeah? <laughs> Summer birthdays, you know, I don't ever get to celebrate that at school with my friends, so can we work that out? Right? None of us had that conversation with our parents. We didn't decide that. God did that. God decided to bring you about in the time and place that he did and gave you the parents that he gave you. And that can be hard for some of us because of our parents weren't very good parents. But God ordained that you should be. And so he called you to be. And so you are. You are fearfully made. And David said, I praise you, God, for I'm wonderfully made. See, the works of God are wonderful. David says that in the next line. They're wonderful, and his soul knows this well. He's not looking at his life, looking at himself in the mirror and be like, I'm, I'm pretty good. I mean, look how wonderful I am. This isn't kind of a self-focused look at his own life. He's, again, thinking about God. He looks around at creation. He stands in awe of all of God's creation. As he is probably even writing this psalm, sitting outside, looking around, saying, God, I know your wonderful works. You called everything to existence, and that includes me. And that includes humanity. If I look at any single person, I see this wonderful creation, these people who bear your image, God, each person specifically, intentionally, reverently, wonderfully made. I like to people watch, whether you're at the airport or, or a, a sporting event, you're sitting there, you're just watching people walk by. You can look around the room this morning, but everybody's different. We all have our own stories, we have our own backgrounds different styles, different looks. There's uniqueness to who we are. Every single person, regardless of what they look like or where they are from, is fearfully and wonderfully made. That includes David and that includes you. There is inherent beauty, inherent value given to each and every person because of this reality, which means this. This is what we have to understand. What this means then is that there is not a single human life from conception to the grave that is not valuable in the sight of God. And therefore, as God's people, they're valuable to us as well. 
David praises God, and then he continues his prayer of praise in verse 15. He says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Sure, we have modern technology like sonograms, like I mentioned. It's an amazing thing to see a human being on a screen, but sonograms are fuzzy at times. You can't always see everything clearly. But God's view of you in the womb isn't fuzzy ever. He sees you fully and clearly. I mean, think about how human life even begins. It starts out so small, so microscopic. You can't actually see the two elements of a seed and sperm come together uh, without having magnification for that. It's teeny tiny, but even in the smallness, the forming of it, God is intimately involved. David uses this imagery of being made in the depths of the earth, a, a place of silence and darkness, just like a womb. But even there, God is present. And even there, he's intricately weaving you together, precisely and purposefully weaving you together like a weaver making this beautiful tapestry of life and all the details and color. And then we come to verse 16. One of the most significant verses in this text. And I would say one of the most significant verses in our understanding of our humanity, our understanding God's involvement in our lives from beginning to end. Look at verse 16. It says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And I love this. In case you, you aren't sure about the intimate involvement of God in the most intimate details of your being formed, David says, your eyes saw me in my most basic state. Eyes and looking are, are relational and personal in nature. We when we want to communicate clearly to someone, we look them in the eyes. There's an intimacy involved when we look at people. We lock eyes with someone. So David's saying, God, you're not involved in just some distant kind of technical way. God is looking and he's watching and he's beholding you. And some translators even translate unformed, unformed substance as embryo. Most women don't find out they're pregnant until they're at least five or six weeks along. So what David's declaring is that even before David's mother knew that she was pregnant, God was watching him and involved in his life, showing his care. But look at what he says at the end of that verse. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me. He's saying every day a person will ever live is known by God. Whether they lived only in the womb or for a hundred years, God knows everything, every single day for every single person. It's written down. Life is in the hands of God from beginning to end. We see that in verses 1 through 10 again, that God's involved. He knows you're Getting up and you're sitting down, you're rising, you're waking, you're sleeping. He knows what you're going to say. He knows where you're going. He is over your life. He knows every aspect of your life. He knows what school you're going to go to. He knows what jobs you're going to have. He knows what relationships you'll have. He knows what happens in secret and what happens in public. God is over all things. He's sovereign over the entirety of your life. He knows every single day when you will be born and the day you will go and pass into eternity. And he knows this before any of these days even come to pass. What an amazing reality. You know, sometimes I think we can, we can think or feel like God is, is far away, that he's distant. He probably doesn't care very much about the details of our lives, that he's uninvolved, maybe even unloving. 
And I would say we wrestle with those moments, especially when things aren't going particularly well or maybe something bad is happening or has happened to you. Someone has sinned against you in some way and there's the real effects of sin in our life. Real difficulty, real challenge. We live in the midst of this broken world, but this psalm makes something very clear. God is intimately close. He's intimately involved in our lives. And at the same time, he is the almighty and holy God who holds everything together. That can be a hard tension to manage at times. But I hope what it does for us is that even if we don't know exactly why God is doing what he's doing or allowing to happen what is happening in our lives, we know that he is in control. It is not comforting to us to think God has no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. We may not know exactly why he's allowing those things to happen, but I know that he knows. And I know there's purpose to it. And I may not always see it, but I know my God is a redeeming God, and one day he will restore all things. And so I can rest in that. I can trust in that. David is praising God for this realization about his own life. But this is, again, true for every human life who ever has lived or will live. There is no person who is out of the sight and out of the mind of God because God knows and God is involved. See, personal life begins in the womb because God personally knows you. Even if we reject him. I hope all of this is some, creates some sense of wonder in our life. Even as we look around and see people around us, as we think about our relationships that we have and people we know, is like we should look at each other and be like, wow, God made you. He, he, he made you specifically and intentionally with all your quirks, all the weird things you think and do, and the food that you like or don't like, and all your little habits and idiosyncrasies, God created you uniquely. And that that would cause wonder for us and worship for us, be a source of praise for all people, because in that we see the character and care of God on display. That God is above all things, that he's transcendent over all, yet is intimately and purposely involved in our life. What a celebration of life we should have. But The question is, is that the case? Do we actually see life that way? Does our world see life that way? You and I live in a a culture of convenience, and it's becoming more and more so, right? Like, there's going to be a day, and we may almost be there already there, like, you actually don't have to leave your house. Like, I think it's crazy right now that you can get on your phone, and you can have somebody deliver food to your house. You can have somebody come to your house and change the oil in your car, though I don't know why you need it if you never drive it. You can come somebody bring your laundry to your house. You can have packages delivered to your house. You literally don't really need to leave your house. And that, that's a culture of convenience. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, though I would encourage you to get out, interact with human beings beyond the delivery person. Um, man, in a culture of convenience, we also can be, see that impact the way we view life from beginning to end, that it becomes expendable, that it becomes just another commodity. Conservative estimates say that approximately one-third of all women in the United States have had or will have an abortion in their lifetime. A third of all women. Our culture is at odds with God's kingdom and culture of valuing all of life. See, a child, any child is never an item. It's a human being created in the image of God. It's precious, he or she. It's a life to be celebrated. God does, and so should we as God's people. 
Now, I know some of you know someone who has had an abortion. I know some of you, statistically speaking at least, have had an abortion yourself or at least been party to it. Some of you may have shared this with other people and others of you probably haven't. But I want you to hear me very clearly this morning. There is hope and grace for you in Jesus. There is hope and grace for you in Jesus. God sent his own eternal son into this world. And he sent him into this world just like he sent you into this world. He grew inside of his mother's womb, conceived and knit together. And he was born into this world with a purpose. He came to save and he came to redeem and he came to restore He came to live a perfect life of obedience, something none of us could do. And he also came to take on the the righteous punishment and wrath of God for our rebellion and for our sin. For all the times that you've chosen to love you more than you love God. For all the times you've chosen to love you more than you love other people. Maybe even that person forming inside of you. Listen, Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. We sang this this morning. He paid it all. All of it was nailed to that cross, died in your place. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus died and rose again. And God in his grace, in his love, in his mercy has made a way for you to be forgiven of anything and everything. To be set free. He's given you a way to be released from your shame. See, shame is a tactic and tool of the enemy. An enemy who hates you. Who hates that you're an image bearer of God. And some of you feel shame this morning. Or you know someone who feels shame when it comes to the things of life. But listen to me, that's not the gospel and that's not God. Shame is something I think we wrestle with at different levels. In fact, we're going to preach on it next week. But know this, God doesn't shame you, ever. No, God doesn't shame you. He sets you free from it. When you place your faith in Jesus, what you're doing is you're declaring to God and to the world around you that you're a sinner and a rebel who needs redemption. When you come to Christ, when you place your faith in Jesus, you are coming and you're allowing yourself to be exposed. You're confessing the reality that yes, you're broken. Yes, you're in need of redemption. Yes, you're in need of salvation. But you know what? In your exposure, in your vulnerability, when you become before God and confess that, he clothes you in the righteousness of Christ. He brings you in and he makes you new. Forgiveness is given to you. Freedom is is possible. Shame is broken when you recognize that the God of Psalm 139, the God who knows every single thing about you, that knows what you did in secret and silence, he comes running for you. He comes running to take it all away and lavish you with his grace and mercy. I mean, abortion has been called a silent killer because it kills a baby in silence, but also because it kills you. It eats away at your soul and your humanity. It pushes you further and further into darkness and hiding. But remember what verses 11 and 12 said, what Josh read for us earlier? David says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. David's saying, if I'm in the midst of just dread and darkness in my own life, he says this, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And God shines light in the midst of the darkness. There's no place he won't go to bring you back So friend, if you're experiencing shame because of something in your life in the past, come into the light. There's hope and healing and redemption for you in Jesus. Come and experience God and his grace. Listen, church, if God values life in this way, if he values life from beginning to end, then so should we as his people, people who are shaped by the ethic 
of a kingdom and a king who is better than anything this world offers to us. And one of the, the one who says, let the little children come to me, the one who himself came into this world in the form of a helpless child. So it's right and it's good for us to care for and talk about and fight for the rights and the reality and the life of the unborn and celebrate that. But, but I think as church people, what we often miss in our celebration of life is actually caring from life beyond that as well. Like, we encourage moms who are wrestling with just the challenge of finding out that they're pregnant, not sure what to do, and we say, keep that baby, but then we don't do anything for them after that. Say, I'll help you, I'll come alongside of you, I'll adopt your child into my family. Do we care about people who are running for their lives and trying to preserve their life because they're being oppressed and crushed and killed by their leadership in their other country, refugees, that we say, well, I care about you, but could you just stay out of my country? Do we actually value life then? Or just the things that are systemically marginalizing people, homelessness, racism, the divide between men and women in our country, or the fact that we have an older and aging population. Did you know that the baby boomer generation, right now there's about 76 million men and women that are in that generation, that are getting to the point of retirement and beyond, that are getting older? Do we care about them? Do we love them as God does? See, God knew every day of every single person from beginning to end, and he cares about life from beginning to end. And so as God's kingdom people, we should have the heart of our king. So what does that look like for us in our own lives, in our own community? As we find ourselves living in this world but not of this world, we can seek to do good to bring kingdom influence around us. And if we're going to be faithful to care about life from beginning to end, I want to encourage us to do that in two main kind of broad umbrella ways. Here's the first one. Value the young and the old. Value the young and the old. And we can care about the unborn, and we can do that through coming alongside of, of ministries like Assist Pregnancy Center, a ministry in this area that's seeking to encourage women and help women and birth moms and dads not only see that baby grow to the place of being born into this world, but coming alongside and caring and encouraging and equipping them and pointing them to Jesus. We're going to show a video about that soon and talk about ways you can get involved with them. We want to care for the unborn in that way. We want to engage even in the political sphere. This is not a political issue, but it has political implications. It has legislative implications, so we can get involved in that. We need to care for people in the midst of the crisis they find themselves in and their children. And so we can do things like foster care and adoption and get involved in different organizations and things in our community that seek to come alongside those that are, that are functionally orphaned, whose parents have to work two or three jobs and don't have much of a family life, we can come alongside of them and encourage them and help them. We can just get involved in our own kids' ministry here, not thinking that, oh, those kids down the hallway, glad they're not in here, not bothering me, but actually seeing them as image bearers of God who one day, Lord willing, will know and follow our King, getting involved in their lives. What does it look like to value the young and the old and go to a place like a nursing home or an assisted living place? knowing there are men and women in there that are experiencing difficulty as their bodies are failing them, their minds are failing them, and sometimes their family has abandoned them. What would it look like for some of us just to go and read Scripture, sing a song, just sit and be present? 
What would it like for us to care for life from the beginning to the end, the young and the old? The second way that we can show that we're following the ethic of our king and his kingdom of caring about life from beginning to end is valuing all men and women. All of us are made in the image of God. Genesis 1 makes that abundantly clear to us, men and women. In fact, the beauty of the image of God is most fully realized when we come together as men and women. That's one of the beauties of being God's people. Together is the church. That men need to learn from women and women from men. That we come together to exemplify that. So we need men and women that are single. Men and women that are married. All of different ages and different backgrounds. We will be better together if we have that. So let's pray for that. Let's work towards that. Let's be willing to listen and learn from one another. But let's also make sure that we are valuing men and women of every ethnicity. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made. But unfortunately, the history of our country, and even this, not our church in particular, but the church in America, hasn't believed this about men and women from all ethnicities. They've read Psalm 139, been celebrating the reality of Christ and God and what he does in life, but applied it in selective ways. Saying, well, that doesn't count for all people, because those aren't people. That is wickedness. It is evil. And every person who has ever perpetrated any kind of racism in any way will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But as God's kingdom people shaped by the gospel, we have to realize that. And we have to acknowledge that there is systemic issues in our country that put people down related to race and ethnicity. It's a value of life issue, which means it's a kingdom issue. We don't have time to get into all the different ways that's happened, but go online, look up what redlining is. When it comes to the mortgage industry and being able to have economic security with owning a home, you can look at statistics and see that African-American men are incarcerated at an alarmingly higher rate than any other ethnicity. And that's not just because of guilt in a crime, because of systemic issues in our culture. Watch the documentary 13th on Netflix. Let me encourage you just for the sake of your own own education to go down to the African-American History Museum in Washington, D.C., And take your time going through that. It is wonderfully done in a sobering experience. Read everything you can read to learn about the history of our country and how we have sought to oppress and put people down. And to circle back on the topic of abortion, the whole business of it in the U.S. started for the sake of eugenics. It started for population control to try to limit or eliminate minority ethnicities. Abortion at its root and core is racism. Listen, our world is broken. And our view of life from beginning to end is often slanted and often skewed. But our God is a redeeming God. And he wants to transform our minds in the way that we think about that as we relate to people around us. And he wants to use us and work in us and through us so that we might see our culture change as well. Jesus desires to redeem and rescue and restore, and he is the king who sits on the throne. And so as men and women who have been radically transformed by the gospel in our own life, as grace has come to bear on our lives, who praise God that we have been fearfully made, who praise God that we've been wonderfully made, let us also praise him that he has fearfully and wonderfully made our neighbor as well. Let's celebrate life from beginning to end and do so in a way that regularly confounds the political left and regularly confounds the political right. That we would live with such a way, pointing them to a greater reality, a greater kingdom, and a greater king. 
sojourn, as you live life along the way, praise him that he knows all of your days, even before there was one, and he is absolutely sovereign over everything, and he is full of loving kindness and grace and mercy. He is God, and he is good. Amen. I want to invite us now to come forward and take communion. And this morning, I just want you to think about what you're doing as you come and take communion. This isn't uh, a religious ritual. It isn't a rote activity. It's a gift of grace to you. Because in this moment, just as you've heard God's word preached and sung and prayed, you get to come and in a very tactile way, taste and see the goodness and grace of God given to you in Christ. That God made you and has sustained you. That he's given you this moment to remember and reflect on his goodness and grace to you. That you have life and you have breath. That by his grace he's redeemed you and one day will fully restore you to the image of God. His perfect image. So as you eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for you. And drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for you. Rejoice. Rejoice in who God is and what he's done for you. Do it with fresh eyes of faith and thanksgiving. That the God who purposed to save you from your sin through the sacrifice of Jesus knows and values your life from beginning to end. And For those of you that are not yet followers of Jesus, I'm grateful that you're here this morning. And I hope what you hear in this is the hope that we have in Jesus. That whether you've experienced these struggles in your own life personally, that you see just your need for redemption. So instead of coming forward and taking the bread and taking the cup, I want you to take Jesus today. That you just remain in your seat and you cry out to God and say, God, I need salvation. I need to be rescued. Turn to faith in Christ today. Let somebody around you know that so we can journey with you in it. For those of you that will eat and drink this morning, come to the tables at the front or the back. Tear off a piece of bread. Take a cup to drink. And what King Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for your grace. That your kindness leads us to repentance. And so, God, I pray that you do that for us this morning. God, would you forgive us for our sin and not valuing life as we should? Would you forgive us for our apathy? And my guess is that's the reality for a lot of us this morning is we've just been apathetic towards the issues of life. God, forgive us for that. And help us to celebrate life from beginning to end in the lives of one another, in the lives of the not yet born, in the lives of those that are getting older. Help us to celebrate that and be thankful for it, to look at each other and see an image bearer of God. God, help us to follow you, a king of a better kingdom. And help us to proclaim your grace and goodness widely and loudly to a community, to a country, to a world that so desperately needs your redemption. Thank you for this time we've had this morning. Let us now respond and worship and praise for who you are and what you've done. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace. <laughs>